This is Dave Burkus, and you are noodling down the Neuro Noodle Highway. Welcome to Neuro Noodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. And a special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen NG hyphen workshops. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time Visit mindmedia.com now. Dave Burkus, my friend, welcome to the Neuro Noodle Network podcast. Thank you for coming on today, my friend. Glad to be here, Pete. And hello, Jay. Now, now, Dave, we got some new listeners, new watchers to the show all the time. You are one of the OG angel investors around, and one of your latest bets is on Dr. Song Wong Kang's uh, iMedicine product. But before we go there, could you just wet our whistle on your impressive background? I mean, you are an entrepreneur starting in high school. Is that right? Age of 15. I uh, decided to uh, build a little recording studio that turned into a record company that put me through college. Uh, nine years later, uh, we had a large record manufacturing plant, a commercial record label, a, a studio building company, and an oldie but goodies division. And you'll uh, recognize that. You won't realize it, but you'll recognize that if you were old enough to remember all those radio and TV ads. That was us. And I sold the company when I had programmed a computer for it. And it was the very first computer with a screen. And I programmed things that had never been seen before for many computers at all. And uh, salesmen for the hardware began to bring potential customers to me. And uh, two of them on one, in one day offered $10,000 in 1974 dollars, that's 50000 a day, to lease these programs from me, lease pieces of these programs from me. I knew the record business was just not for me, although today vinyl's coming back, and so maybe I should have stayed for all these years, but I don't think so, and went into the computer programming business. Uh, settling after two years and 215 customers on the hotel industry. Built that into the largest hotel reservations and front office supplier in the world. Uh, sold that company back to that original hardware company. 
1990 and uh, used the money that I made, it was a great sale, to invest in 206 companies. And I now manage uh, five of the six funds that I did. One of them is mature. And uh, that's my life, is finding out how many of those companies have gone public or been sold, how many of them are dead, uh, and accounting to 108 limited partners as we go through life. So as I come across a lot of uh, medical device and uh, chemical companies dealing with medicine, one of which is going public and just announced today, uh, it is mind-boggling for me that I have to keep up mentally with all of this. But uh, learning what these companies do and staying with them, in one case, in many cases, to see that they're alive, it's part of my life. And uh, one of my favorite stories is that uh, in 1982, the Marriott Corporation licensed the uh, software, and uh, it was for 50 properties, or to be 50 properties. Mr. Marriott wanted to compete with himself and wanted to build a separate reservation network for a new product that he was to call Courtyard. And so, uh, yeah, I built a system that could handle one machine, five properties, save lots of money. And uh, they paid, I think it was $3 million in software. They had to buy the hardware from me because at that time it was unique. And that was $11 million in hardware. We're talking 1982 to $1990. And uh, today it is 40 years later. And Marriott is still trying to replace that software, and it's in use in 4,000 properties worldwide, and I just can tell that story forever. So, Oh, well, there's more. you you got to do the AOL. Oh, yeah, well, Come on. <clears throat> one of my uh, favorite stories, and I tell lots of them, and I think there's probably no investor in the world that hasn't heard this. So I'm telling it to some of you who've heard it before, and I'll abbreviate it for sure. But my chief programmer decided to leave me because he wanted to be a um, marketing person. And he had 26 people reporting to him and thousands of hotels depended upon what he was doing. And I wouldn't let him do it. So he left me. Five years later, I received an email. I keep that email. I can actually reach it right now, but I've memorized it. So who needs to keep it? Uh, and when I do my uh, keynotes, I pull it out of a folio and read pieces of it. But here it comes. Hello again, Dave. I'm employee number seven at a Seattle-based retail internet startup called Amazon.com. He was among the first. In fact, uh, McKenzie and Jeff were not employees. So he was really employee number five. And uh, he was the one in charge of marketing. Marketing? <laughs> and so he said, uh, among other things, my, uh, my boss is in round two of capital seeking. And let me stop for a second to say <clears throat> that Jeff's mom was round one, $300,000. This was the first round. And if I had the $100,000 he's seeking, I would uh, certainly do it, dubious as I am, but I'd be happy to introduce you to him. Now, I had a twin engine airplane at the time. I had flown to Seattle numerous times, and yet I had a rule that said that my investment should be within driving distance. So I wrote him back. I said, gee, Tom, great to hear from you. Keep me informed. So I asked audiences how much that 100000 would have been worth two years later at the public offering of Amazon. And the answer was 
Pete, I think you've heard the story enough to know it. Go ahead and see if you can tell me a number. Refresh my memory. Good. (laughs) 33 million. So that was pretty good, except uh, private equity investors have to hold for six months. So if I held for a year, it would have doubled, 66 million. And I tell that story often. So a couple of years ago, I told it on the stage of the Angel Capital Association's international meeting in a keynote. And as I came off the stage, two people uh, pulled me aside and had iPads. And they said, uh, we calculated what your investment would be worth if you held it until today. And uh, so I play that game now after having had that experience. And I played it last week. And uh, I think the price last week after a 20 for one split was still, uh, I should have it in front of me. Let's say it's $14, but whatever that number was, $3.5 billion would be the value. And so I would be buying uh, the narrow the narrow noodle network, excuse me. <laughs> uh, and what else? I'd just uh, go spending. <laughs> uh, remind, you, you'll be getting requests soon, uh, Dave. Oh, gee, thanks. Uh, and before we get into healthcare, I mean, all three of us we're we're music people. Uh, yes, you got to touch on some of your the the record label label that you had. So you had some great ones, and we did. It was really fun that uh, some of those records became very valuable because one of the four divisions of the company was the Vanity Press, uh, which means somebody could have their own records made. They would pay for it, and we would design the covers and do all the work to print uh, the LP. And uh, some of those became extremely valuable. Uh, There is a magazine devoted to these. And I had a 21-page article last year uh, by a writer from that magazine. And he came to my home office. And I uh, asked if he'd like to see some of those records that I still had. Of the thousands and thousands of, of records that we made, I did have maybe 500, 400. And he pulled one out and he said, this is worth about $1,500. This is worth about $900. This is worth about $600. And I had a great time listening. So I handed those to him and asked him to sell them for me. (laughs) He sold some. But uh, the one you're asking about is uh, one that we who have been around long enough will well remember. And it is the song, I want to buy the world a Coke. I want to teach the world to sing. And uh, we were the ones who published that on behalf of Coca-Cola, because of course that was their thing, and uh, sent them around the world, millions of those. It's just one example of falling into uh, a hit when we had nothing to do with it, but a lot of fun to talk about. And Jay, he's being very humble because he also signed Dennis Weaver. (laughs) And Dennis Weaver, who thought he could sing, and my uh, commercial record label who thought they could find great acts, uh, Dennis probably sold four copies. <laughs> and a couple of years later, he showed up at my office and uh, said, I'm so embarrassed. I want to buy the 16 track master tape from you. And I sold it to him for $4,000, which was the most we ever made for that record. <laughs> All right, so, so, so Dave, I mean, we got a short amount of time. It's a mental yeah. health show. And basically that just shows you, you have street cred. You don't, you, you try not to place dumb bets. We all make dumb bets, but you've got a lot of winners out there. And one of the bets that you've placed is on iMedisync and, and in the mental health business, plus that other public offering that you talked about today. I, I don't know much about it, but when did you start? 
investing into mental health. What caught your interest with the uh, the product that uh, uh, Dr. Sungwong Khan has? Well, my wife has Parkinson's and uh, she's in a facility and has been for three years and is basically bed bound. Uh, and uh, that certainly got my attention and caused research and uh, kind of bend your mind when you talk about the investment opportunities. I've had 10,000 of them come across my desk. So, uh, yeah, I would say that was the impetus, although I did invest in medical devices and some uh, companies in the industry before that time. Turns out that my remaining portfolio is about one third medical devices and uh, medical companies now. What a shock. Uh, that wasn't my specialty, as you heard. <laughs> Mine was technology and enterprise uh, software, which is where I really made my money. Dave, how did you get introduced to iMedisync? Jim Cahill uh, was a friend that I had met through one of the people that I met her. And uh, Jim began to talk to me for a while about uh, his knowledge of Dr. Soon Wong Kang. And it became a relationship. I became a uh, consultant at first, and then I became very interested in what they were doing. Uh, the dry electrode helmet they have is the apple of neuroscience. Uh, it looks like that kind of a device. It attracts attention from across a room. Uh, it does things we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a yeah. few moments. And uh, so I became interested enough and uh, the mentoring relationship that I had with Dr. Kang and his marketing staff turned into an offer for me to build the United States and North American entity for them. I accepted. I'd done that once before for a Malaysian company. And so even among all the other things I'm doing, still managing five funds, 180 limited partners, all these investments we just talked about, this was one I couldn't say no to. The people that don't know, who is Jim, Jim Cahill? Uh, Jim Cahill is a neuroscientist uh, who has been in the industry for, I can't tell you how many years, but uh, certainly has a lot of street creds. And of course, Jay can tell me much more about Jim, but I was with Jim for a year and a half. Jay's been with him for many more years. Jim now has the most cushy job in the entire universe. Uh, and that is, he is now the head of uh, medical and treatment for the um, Four Seasons Resort on the Isle of, uh, help me, um, the tiny Hawaiian island of Lanai. And uh, the rooms are $1,000 and $2,000 and $3,000 a piece a night. So the other day I asked Jim if uh, we could get an employee discount. He said, I could pass on mine. I get 50% off, but that's still going to be 500 to 1,000 a night, Dave. So uh, Jim's job uh, and he and his wife, Anne, are doing just fine in a location you'd never expect in paradise. Sounds like another summit. <laughs> Jay, how do... <laughs> I'm ready for that. <laughs> Jay, Jay, how do you know Jim Cahill? Just qu quickly. just The California Biofeedback Society, we were both on the board. And um, uh, I don't know if you've been on any small society boards, but... Um, uh, once in a while, you find real uh, rational, uh, well-motivated people on a board, and sometimes it's populated with some folks that aren't. And uh, Jim and I got along fabulously well because he was well-motivated and he was bright and uh, 
and Esau clearly uh, that the, the future was not uh, one of uh, antipathy towards various vendors and so forth is uh, uh, switching to a positive, uh, uh, not a circular firing squad uh, form of uh, uh, promotion for the field. And um, it, 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 we, we became uh, long uh, fast friends and um, it, it, distance being what it is and my inability to travel, I don't see him that much, but I do have a recent picture of him and I and Dr. Kang at skates down in Berkeley having a dinner together, uh, chatting about the future of the, uh, the dry sensor helmets and you know, angel investors, which I didn't catch any names from him, but uh, they, they, they were looking to, to start to ramp up in a, in a business way. And I'm science, not business, so I, I, I wish them all well. And uh, uh, very early on, uh, I was offered a small percentage, and, and and you know how that that sort of thing works. And yeah. and um, I told them, well, you know, if you pay me, how can you trust my advice? <laughs> oh. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neurosciences NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person with the link AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen NG hyphen workshops. <laughs> so, and uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I I'm not monetarily oriented. I, I came from a well-to-do family, and and uh, money was used both as a carrot and a stick. So when I'm offered funds, I very seldom uh, nibble on that. Uh, it, it's more of a warning than anything else. And I told her I'd be more than happy to give you all the bad advice I can give you, you know, for free. Um, and, and, uh, um, and, you know, they listened to some things. I'm sure they ignored other things, uh, as, as people tend to do. But, um, uh, the, uh, some of the things that I, uh, uh, suggested, including keeping males and females separate in their database, uh, which was, I think, a well, it's, Quite honestly, it's an obvious <laughs> recommendation. You can tell males and females are different, you know, and if you can't, you 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 shouldn't be in neuroscience, you know. So um, it that that was, I think, solid advice. And then after they had collected for I think about five years uh, data, um, they said, "Well, now that we have all this data, they're all excited. Uh, you know, what what do we do with it?" You know how how should we structure this database? And I said, well, yeah, I can give you advice, but quite honestly, I think you should take a sabbatical and go to UC San Diego Schwartz Computational Neuroscience Center and learn from the best neuroscience computational folks in the world how to play with the numbers and massage the data and present it in 
the, the, the best modern neuroscience approaches. Because if you were to copy people that are in the field already, you'd just be one of the pack. And, you know, the, the, there's, there's a whole different level of neuroscience if you step away from surface electrode, you know, coherence to source connectivity and uh, you know, deep brain structures that are actually hooked together and, and interacting. It's not easy to get into, into Schwartz computational. It's a busy place. There's applications flying in the door, uh, through the mail, through the phone. And um, I, um, I, I wrote a brief note to Scott McKaig, who I have known for a long time. And uh, uh, apparently I hadn't offended him badly enough yet. And, and so <laughs> he, uh, he opened my email and uh, I said, you know, you got a lot of applications. And let me tell you, if you bring in Dr. Kang, what he's going to bring with him, you know, they have a normative database of males and females kept separate. And, uh, uh, the, and the, this, this basically just uh, sprung the door open for them. And, uh, uh, he he received uh, three postdoc, high-level postdoc people to work with him when he walked in the door. So um, somehow that worked out really well. My, my bad advice seems to have have uh, you know broken watch right a couple times a day, and he caught me at a couple of good moments apparently. So um, uh, and it, so Jay, that has turned into an artificial intelligence uh, CNS biomarker yeah. database. And yep. we'll talk about that because what the first thing I asked him was, is there a difference between the Asian brain and the North American brain? And so that's one of the things we're studying now as part of all of this. Yeah. There's a and lot to say. Can you start the, with that? The, the, there's some of the early work trying to identify the difference between the Caucasian American, uh, but because it was pretty much all uh, Caucasian American uh, norms that had been collected. Um, uh, Duffy out of Harvard and Roy John at NYU, uh, that uh, Peterson. Um, the, 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 there were a handful of uh, database attempts in the U.S. And one of the criticisms was, well, your database is going to be good for like what uh, Caucasian Americans, you know, or maybe some <laughs> Canadians, you know. So, um, and so they they actually went around the world looking for the obvious divergent. Okay. Aboriginals in Australia, you know, the, you know, they're, they're not the same color. They have a different culture, you know, the, uh, who knows what might be different, but that they, they generally look normal, normal brains are normal brains are normal brains. But the thing is, it, you can't really honestly compare a person or a dozen people to a database of hundreds of people. Uh, you have to have equivalent size samples to make that an actual test. So they did, they dipped their toe into the question, but they didn't really fully answer it. Um, there appears to be some very slight differences um, that we've seen in the ERP, the event-related potential. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Swiss and uh, uh, Russian uh, norms that have been collected with the ERP, uh, the, the, you know, you, you, you get the visual arrival at the back of the head and then you process the information temporally. Well, 
Swiss and, and Russian are pretty much left hemisphere processors. You know, the, the, the process step of processing something you've seen ends up being primarily left hemispheric. The Koreans are bilateral in, in their process. Now, the, the peak and the latency of the ERP, the norms of that are all normal. There's no abnormal thing there. Now, it may, there's, you know, you come up with ideas as to why these observations may be different. Oh, well, they're using a pictorial uh, right hemispheric characters for their, you know, their, their language. Well, ABC123 also has spatial characteristics. I don't know if that's really much of an answer. Um, uh, uh, you know, so th th there's, it it's going to take some time to figure out exactly what that's about. But it's an insignificant difference in an ERP. Uh, it, it doesn't negate the norms that were collected. There's also a healthy form of theta at the frontal midline that in the Korean norms is larger than it is in the European norms. But you can make that frontal midline theta, which isn't just theta at the frontal midline, it's brief bursts on a memory task and the task load makes it stronger and all that. So it's a specific signal. And uh, it, it, it's the antithesis of worrying or fear. And you can enhance it with mindfulness meditation. So it's possible, again, you see a difference and you come up with some harebrained idea of what might be the reason for it being different. It's possible that there's more meditative lifestyle, more mindfulness, or perhaps not blaming them for having more, perhaps blaming us for having less, you know? So, <laughs> but uh, the, whatever the difference is, uh, I'm sure we'll find out the, the details of that at some point. But again, it's not an abnormality or a difference that is medically negatively uh, or oriented or anything. It's, these are super subtle observations, and they they may be uh, cultural, they may be lifestyle. Uh, uh, we'll we'll see. That's we're gonna really have to, interesting. Because, we're going to uh, have to find we're going to have to find like sixty people who are genetically Korean, raised in Switzerland, <laughs> uh, uh, with with the the. Uh, European culture, uh, uh, and 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 at that point, start to tease out whether there's a genetic versus cultural uh, source difference or something. But you know, I, I'm old. I I don't have the interest to to dive into that project. <laughs> that's for sure. So so um, I had my brain scan, Jay, and uh, I uh, have Lithuanian and Russian background, and ninety nine percent, one percent Neanderthal, as most of us have. And uh, so I'm so left brain that when Dr. Kang did his uh, personal evaluation of my scan, he had to look at it again and again. And we had a long talk about it because <laughs> I'm a little off the chart in the middle there and he didn't know how to handle it. You know, so. there are a lot of people in life that are not, uh, you know, normal neurologically. They're unique. And quite honestly, I think the outliers in life end up being the non-C students in, in, in life's outcomes. You, you, uh, uh, the extraordinary achievers usually have a divergent pattern. 
uh, my brain is not normal, but then I don't aspire to the mean, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I've never thought that yeah, being average was sort of like the end goal. So, um, and I, I know that upsets a lot of people in the field that uh, here I am disparaging normal, you know, you know, I, I have to say that the outliers in life are where the interesting pieces of it are. And, um, uh, I'd I'd rather hang out with neuro neurodivergent individuals and and uh, explore the divergence than I would uh, hang out with a bunch of neurotypical. So, well, you kind of expressed it the way that I would too, because I find those kind of people as I look at these entrepreneurs, and you can tell those that yeah. are very right brain creative and those that are very left brain driven, and uh, it's interesting for me to follow these yeah. people over the years as I have to, yeah. as I invest. All right. Yeah. Dave, you've placed a lot of smart bets. Okay. What do you see in the tea leaves in your crystal ball there that this time the technology is going to be different where insurance companies will pay more for the services? Cause it all comes down to who's paying for this. And, so now we're talking about the specific iMedisync product. Yes, we are. And as we speak about that, the first thing that is important is it takes just 10 minutes to make a scan. There are no uh, wires coming from the electrodes. Everything from the amplifier to the electrodes to this beautiful shining blue light that makes us look like an Apple device. All of it is in one helmet. And the one helmet uh, can be used. Uh, it can feed uh, you can go through the cloud-driven analysis or smoothing of the uh, the waves all in a matter of just minutes. And that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, you can do a much better analysis, and I'd have to draw the line about what is FDA approved today and what is not, uh, by going through their AI system than you've ever been able to do otherwise. So let's talk about how you can make a speedy uh, scan and analysis work for you in environments where it couldn't have otherwise. Think of an athlete on the field where there's been a bad head hit, a CTI problem, and they take the athlete off and uh, the chief medical officer for the team uh, is going to make a, a determination without much data about whether that player can continue to play. If we could do that in the tent or in the uh, locker room in 10 minutes, there's one industry that would have these uh, giant multi-million dollar players protected, whether they're sent back in or not, uh, and they couldn't have been done otherwise. So there's one sliver of an element. Now take that into others, such as uh, our dream is to be in the uh, Minute Clinic in uh, CVS or in Walgreens Clinic, so that these are not uh, medical clinics. These are pre-analysis of ordinary people that have problems, and we'll talk about those problems in a second, that can be sent to a specialist. So it's just a diagnostic, well, I'll take it back. It will be a diagnostic tool. It's yeah. a data gathering tool now. And that's the difference. If you look at this uh, helmet, it's an EEG scanner. Uh, it sends its analysis to the cloud wirelessly through uh, Wi-Fi. And uh, the cloud-based analysis can be either for an HRV analysis or an EEG analysis or both. 
And uh, that is sent in turn through what has not yet been FDA approved, this AI system that looks for CNS biomarkers. And then from there, there are algorithms for PBM care. So this is all in one single system. And that is kind of amazing. Yeah. So uh, what's happened so far? Imagine today walking in, you know, gee, doc, uh, you know, something's not quite right. Um, I'm forgetting things. Uh, Is this depression? Is this dementia? What's going on? Uh, uh, I'm I'm starting to lose uh, my marbles a little bit. Yeah. And the doc, the doctor is going to have to send you from their office to a lab. Now, which lab? Uh, EEG isn't really done as often as one might think for dementia. Uh, it's a very powerful tool in dementia, but it's not done as often as it could be. Um, what, what are they going to get? An MRI or a CT? I mean, the the testing that's out there that can predict uh, dementia isn't all that well developed. And um, and and how long is the answer going to be? Uh, and are you going to get an answer that's really an answer? Right. So uh, uh, and, and here the difference now is you walk into the doctor's office and you haven't seen the doctor yet. The secretary comes out and plunks a, 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 a Star Wars helmet on your head and, and says, sit there and, and it'll tell you to open and close your eyes. Uh, just follow those instructions. Um, you know, f- five minutes worth of recording later with a little bit of hookup and prep. And, and by the time you walk into the doctor's office, the doctor has the answer in front of him. And, uh, the, you know, there, there isn't a referral out for uh, expensive testing. You've got a very uh, cost-effective, uh, quick screening. And one of the difficulties with FDA is AI. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, and... and what kind of AI are you using? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, AI is what machine learning? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it uh, you know there, there's so many kinds of AI out there. I'm still suffering with the old skin version of intelligence, and and that you know it it it, it doesn't work all that great sometimes, but um, the the AI that's out there, the FDA can't just rubber stamp something because it's got AI as a label on it. It has to look at the guts inside of the AI. And not all that is easily um, interpretable. There there are quantum computer things going on in AI and they're, they're, you know, is, is the cat alive or dead in, in, in that box? I don't know. <laughs> Open it and see, you know? So um, the, the, the AI is going to be a very big uh, leap for the, for the FDA. And uh, yeah. it, it, it's more about um, the, 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 uh, the outcomes you can show as opposed to the process inside the black box. And, yeah. It, it, it's going to be pretty much impossible to understand what's inside of each of the black boxes because everybody's got an AI algorithm. The difficulty is the data set to, to train the algorithm with, not the, the the fact that you've got something inside of a black box. I, I have four words for you. 
Show Uh-oh. me more studies. Oh, of course. And I was about to say in a different sense, the same thing. So we have been approved for the 510K for the helmet. We are almost approved, and that's uh, a risky thing to say, for all of the software leading up to the line that Jay just drew, which is the diagnostic line. And the diagnostic line in our case is AI. So we have uh, beautiful photos, uh, simulated photos of the brain from the original scan that uh, describe the areas of the brain and what effect uh, that brain has had. But we can't make that last report legally yet. Uh, It was done for those of us in research and for me because I'm part of the company. And it shows where you are in the spectrum. And it does a very good job of comparing it to a normative database. And from that, uh, it draws a chart uh, showing how far divergent you and your brain and the areas of the brain, according to those scans, are from the norm. And boy, there's an awful lot there that uh, I would love to have available at uh, the CVS mini clinic. I'd like to have it available even in some of these colleges and universities where 50% of the students say they have some form of depression or mental problem, and 25% of them uh, are making appointments, as many as they can make, at the facilities in those universities and colleges just because they feel they can't uh, operate normally. And there are no tools. The psychiatrists who are there, the psychologists that they bring in, and uh, even just the clinicians don't have the tools to do anything more than listen and estimate. Hey guys, that's the end of part one. Stay tuned. Next week's part two is going to be even better. Thanks for being a loyal watcher and listener. The Neuro Noodle podcast is supported by listeners and viewers just like you. A special thanks to our gold and silver supporters. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop December 10th and 11th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. And if you sign up now, you can join Dr. Robert Thatcher at his house for a pre-course get-together December 9th. It's going to be a blast. What a better way to enjoy winter by being in Madeira Beach, Florida and earning up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from MindMedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit MindMedia.com now.